The Eldridge Files. Well, I'm uh, really happy, Representative Liz Miranda, to have you on my Eldridge Files podcast. Awesome so thank name. Thank you very much for joining me. It's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, we've had the chance to sit down and talk a couple months back after after you got sworn in, and um, just already so impressed with your passion uh, for working on a wide variety of issues. And I think I've really seen how you really want to take the experiences of your district, uh, you know, your life, and and turn them into action here at the state house. I've yes. been very impressed Thank by you. that. Thank you. I'm quite just... impressed with your policy agenda as well. <laughs> And, and yet I don't know too much about your district or, you know, how you came to run for office or your uh, work before. Uh, I know you worked at a community health center. Is community right? development community agency, development. yep. Mm -hmm. And so if you could talk a little bit about, you know, sort of what your activism has been, you know, recently or, you know, or however many years back. Awesome. That's yeah. a great place to start. Well, thank you. It's a great honor to be here with you, Senator. Um, to share uh, the story of like how I got here. Mm -hmm. I think that really informs how I'd like to govern and how I see myself as a legislator. I grew up um, to a single immigrant mom who had me at 17. Mm -hmm. um, and she grew up and we lived in a place in Roxbury called the Dudley Triangle. Mm -hmm. And there's two films about the Dudley Triangle and a book called Streets of Hope. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Very interesting story about that neighborhood because it was basically a forgotten neighborhood. Yes. It was a neighborhood that went through a lot of environmental injustice. We had 1,400 parcels of vacant land. Mm -hmm. We had illegal trash transfer stations. Yeah. We were the poorest part of Boston for many decades. I've and read the book. Yeah, awesome. Yep. So the immigrant yep. community yep. that mm -hmm. my family was a part of from the Cape Verde Islands, many of them, uh -huh. or Puerto Rican immigrants, um, mm -hmm and African-Americans who had come from the South really galvanized to say, don't dump on us. And they mm -hmm. were one of the first communities in the country to get eminent domain power over land. Mm -hmm. So I had this like dichotomy of growing up in this community where part of my life was this sort of like sad um, story of like many inner city communities mm -hmm. where we're really unjustly treated. You know, we have Absolutely. five times the asthma rate we live in a dirty, violent community. Yep. Um, much of the economic power doesn't reside in our community because yep. most of the families work low-wage jobs, like my mom, mm -hmm. who's worked for 38 years, and I'm super proud of her, uh -huh. and as a mm -hmm. chef, was a former line okay. cook in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And we grew up in that community, and that was the story, right? You told mm -hmm. people you were from Roxbury, and you automatically got this, like, Yep. look down upon you mm -hmm. um, look and then there was a story of how people many of whom didn't speak English fought back they yeah. fought cities they fought planning agencies right. they led marches and so I grew up with this kind of I, call, I like to call it like my sazon mm -hmm. um, of this feeling of like when I was younger under 13 I felt very hopeless mm -hmm. like am I ever going to leave this place yeah Mm -hmm. And then at 13, I got involved with the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative, okay, sure. which yep. is in the book. Yep. And my whole perspective on me as a young person being able to create change. Mm -hmm. change. So I bring that to my work. So I spent um, most of my young life working in youth development and community development. 
I got into Wellesley the first in my family to mm. get into college. Sure. I worked two jobs to put myself through college. And mm. when I graduated Wellesley, which really changed my life, Mm-hmm. Imagine going from Roxbury to Wellesley. Yeah. Um, every week when I would come home, I would, on the number one bus, um, after I got into Boston, I learned something different about mm-hmm. um, economic inequity, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you grow up in the poorest part of our state, and then you go to school in one of the wealthiest towns, yeah. and there's a lot of layers you learn. What, what was that like to, um, to, to, to be at Wellesley and to come up against those you know, very clear inequities? I hated it. The first year, I just I was definitely coming home. I <clears throat> I uh, remember distinctively going to school, really proud that I had graduated from one of Boston's public exam schools, mm-hmm, and thinking mm-hmm. like I was one of the smartest people <laughs> in my city. And I got on campus, and two things happened the like first day. Mm-hmm. I had never been to the town of Wellesley ever, so yep. I got in. <laughs> and the first time I saw the campus was the day I moved in. And I was so excited to get into college. Like, I'd packed a U-Haul truck with all this stuff. And, what well, yeah, I had heard people took to college. And I get on campus, and women are like, oh, my God, where'd you go to school? Great to meet you. And I was like, O'Brien. Oh, and they were, like, at Exeter and Andover <laughs> and Miss Porter's boarding mm-hmm. school. So there was all this uh, wealth. And these mm-hmm, schools mm-hmm. that I had never heard of. And here I was, yep, like, right, super right. proud to go to O'Brien. Uh, and then the second thing was the first time I had met an African-American person whose parents were doctors and lawyers. Okay. And so yeah. I immediately felt like I didn't belong. So my first two years was a lot of soul-searching. Like mm-hmm, I said, I had to work mm-hmm. two jobs when many of my classmates did not. And I'm just and curious, what were the jobs? So I worked at the African-American Center. So there's a, a house on mm-hmm. Wellesley's campus that saved my life. It's called mm-hmm. Harambe. Okay. And Harambe was where, it was our cultural center, mm-hmm. is where black women went together from all the diaspora. Like, we had a lot of African students, we had a lot of Caribbean students, and then we had people that represented almost every state, right? And so that one house, I worked as an aide there, um, answering phone calls, producing programs, just trying to help other black women feel like mm-hmm. if there was one place on campus that they could call home. It was Harambe House. Mm-hmm. And the others I worked in, it's a really interesting story. <laughs> so Wellesley's town is called The Ville, like mm-hmm. their little center area. Oh, okay. And they yeah. mostly have like, when I was there, it had like Ann Taylor, The Gap, <laughs> all these fancy places. There mm-hmm. was one store that <laughs> was like on my level, and it was DeSalle's. Okay. And it's this, this, this small store that no longer exists, but it was like a cross between like TJ Maxx and Bradley's. Okay. Um, if everyone remembers where Bradley's is there. I so did. I grew yeah. up, yeah. I grew up my mom <laughs> shopping there. So, uh, so this one store, and it was interesting because Wellesley's town had a lot of nannies who were mm. of Haitian or African descent or Caribbean okay. descent. Okay. And this mm. would be the one store that these women could go to. Okay, right? yeah. And so I was sick. I was working there trying to, like, you know, like a regular job at a yeah, cashier. right, right. Mm-hmm. And these women would come, these Caribbean women, the Jamaican women would come in, and I'd be the only black face. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the only store they couldn't afford. Yeah. And a lot of the housewives from the town, when they would come into the store, they would excuse themselves 
for being in the store. Mm-hmm. And it happened all the time. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, I just came here for a candle. Mm-hmm. Or right, right. I, I don't normally come here, so I don't know where anything is. Just Can to you point me to a wrapping paper? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it, it happened mm-hmm. over and over. And so I remember the day I quit the job to go work at another store mm-hmm. uh, was a day where, like, I was writing. I was doing my homework at the cash register. There was no one in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, this woman had come in and caused a scene, and she treated me so poorly. Mm-hmm. And my boss was like, so why are you doing your homework? I mm-hmm. was like, I'm tired of these bougie chicks coming in uh, and treated me like, excuse my language, like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say something else, but like, mm-hmm. like crap. And, you know, they have no right. You know, mm-hmm. they have no right to treat me like this. And sure. I saw that how they treated one of the Jamaican nannies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told the Jamaican nannies to come to my cash register after me and my boss had an exchange. I was like, get whatever you want. It's $9.99. <laughs> and they were like, $9.99. I was like, $99.99 for the whole bag because I used to have to punch it in. But that day I quit, but I had given them, God forbid mm-hmm. me, but I gave them all this stuff for $9.99 um, and to prove a point that like equity and justice is even in retail mm-hmm. you know and yep. I, that yep. was really the start but after my two years <clears throat> I realized Wellesley was the perfect place for me mm-hmm. I got the confidence I needed I was That's great I was reminded that I could change anybody or anything in the world and that made it made a difference so and, and did that did that influence you that you wanted to get into public interest or social justice work or maybe even run for office like were you thinking about it then or hell no, no. like I that <laughs> politics literally I thought about running in February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Okay. That yeah. I knew that I wanted to go into community development, youth development, because when I looked at what really saved me, I also mm-hmm. grew up in a household where my birth father was incarcerated, my mm-hmm. siblings were incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that I was saved by really good mentors and great youth organizations and places like DSNI, right? Okay, yeah. And so I knew I wanted to go into that work. And so my life's work has really been about, and I don't think I had a name for it. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, people talk about doing social justice work or anti-poverty work or Mm -hmm. whatever work. It's always been interesting that in the last year that's really stuck out, like, because it has a name. Yep. Mm -hmm. But I I just wanted to help people and do good. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just Mm -hmm. wanted to give back and... That's where the 15 years of my life was. I gave back as a business owner. Mm-hmm. I gave back mm-hmm. as uh, I worked in philanthropy for a while. Mm-hmm. So I worked in investing in youth organizations. Mm-hmm. And now I currently run my own community center. Mm-hmm. And that I'm still trying to hold on to, <laughs> although it's really hard. The schedule here in the state yeah, house is, is intense. Yeah, more than a full-time job. Yeah, more. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's and they said to me, "What's well, it kind of like a full time job? It's kind of part time. Most people have a second job, so why don't you keep your job?" And for me, working in nonprofit, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible mm-hmm. um, to dedicate what I'd love to dedicate to the young people of Roxbury. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. And and so the neighbor, you still live in the neighborhood you grew up in. Then. Yeah, it's yeah. so cool. I mm-hmm. get to like yeah. actually, I spent most of my <laughs> life trying to run away. And then I came back and. It's cool to actually be the legislator and the representative for people mm-hmm. that I I know and understand so well, mm-hmm. because I've continued to live in this community for its uh, rise and its falls. Yeah, and it's kind of cool to walk down the street and people know your name and right, know your right. story, and know that you'll represent them. So and yeah, I, my community is really cool. And how is it? How has it changed since since the time before you were thirteen to now? I mean, it's. What is there gentrification? Yeah. What's, what's yeah, what's interesting is part of the district, so the Fitzsuffolk district mm-hmm. stretches for uh, 
from Fields Corner to Newmarket Square, which mm-hmm. represents parts of Roxbury and Dorchester. Mm-hmm. I like to say that it has like 10 little mini neighborhoods in it. So like, you know, mm-hmm. you have a lot of towns yep. Uh, yep. because right. we have much more density that it's like we have like 10 little towns. So we have mm-hmm. Fields Corner where there's a large Vietnamese community. Oh, sure. yep. We have the Dudley Street Corridor, uh, which is quite diverse and Bold in Geneva, which is largely Cape Verdean American. Mm-hmm. We have Four Corners, which is mostly Caribbean. Um, we have Upham's Corner that's kind of like, the, it's like a melting pot because it's the third mm-hmm. most diverse district in the country, actually. Mm-hmm. 02125, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool <laughs> um, that I have that distinction. Mm-hmm. And so my district represents uh, the very best, I think, of our commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would say what hasn't changed is that there's still resilient, diverse yep people who work hard and care. Yeah. Um, what has changed is that many of those safeguards that we created to keep the mm-hmm. neighborhood of the people for the people has changed. And gentrification is a real threat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Public safety, poverty, okay. um, yep. housing uh, tend to be the top few issues. Mm-hmm. Um, 50% of my district is foreign born. Okay. 62% wow. is a female head of household. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of moms carrying a lot mm-hmm. of weight Yep. raising families and so issues of gentrification aren't just like uncool but they're mm-hmm. traumatic and they're devastating and they cause displacement and when you cause displacement <coughs> of people who are from a community a lot of other things happen right mm-hmm. so for example we have a lot of business districts that are uh, supportive of the community that lives there currently right mm-hmm. as that community leaves those oh, businesses yeah. get yep. hurt So if we have ethnic businesses, if the ethnic population isn't there, Mm -hmm. uh, what happens? If there's rising rents of homes, there's obviously rising rents of commercial spaces. Mm -hmm. So certain mom and pop micro businesses can no longer sustain. So they get infected too. Right. And so Mm -hmm. everyone's Mm -hmm. infected. So I would say what's changed is that there's Mm -hmm. a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. now that Roxbury and Dorchester are cool to live Mm in um, to be able to sustain that. The other is a, ant, a real anti-immigrant feel that I, I feel mm, that's not coming in from our district yeah. outward, but it's the pressure outward in yeah. that's making people very fearful. So you have people going oh, to yeah. the doctors less. Um, mm-hmm. They don't walk into legal places anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women um, of different cultures and colors who are fearful of going to the police. So they're getting abused and mm-hmm. not going to share that with police. So there's a lot of devastating impact that happens as a result mm-hmm. of just one kind of shift, uh, economic shift in our community. So that's sure. what's changed. And and because of that fear, I'm glad, you know, we're the we're both the lead sponsors yes. on the Safe Communities Act with Representative Ruth yeah. Balzer. And um, I'm excited for that. I, you know, it, it's interesting because you're talking to, and I think, you know, your class a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of different ideas, and I think probably different approaches, you know, to being a legislator. And, you know, I know some colleagues who've been elected for a couple terms that, you know, their focus is, you know, pretty much all constituent services and they're not looking to work at, you know, on statewide legislation or bigger policies. There's others that, you know, the reverse, they're more focused on policies but not as focused on what's actually going on in the community. Um, and then there's, you know, those that sort of feel like, well, I, I'm not exactly sure what my vision is. I'm going to, you know, go to committee hearings. I'm going to learn, learn the job, do a lot of listening, but I'm not, you know, necessarily going to take bold, 
positions on things. <laughs> I kind of look at, I feel like the fifth year. suffix is yeah. the most minority. Well, so the fact is that the fifth suffix is the most minority district in our commonwealth, at about yeah. 94%. Wow. I don't yeah. feel like I have the luxury mm-hmm. uh, to not do what is the that causes the greatest good, right? So mm-hmm. I look at this as an inside and outside game, right? Yeah. I have to be bold because it's life and death, right? Yeah. People can look at immigration and say they're progressive, they can say they're liberal, but in communities like myself, uh, I have a father who's deported, I have a brother who's deported, mm-hmm. there are over 400 um, K-Verdians on the deportation list, yep. I don't even know the number of the South Asians who mm-hmm. are on the deportation list, yep. like this is a matter of, re- we don't have to look at the border as separating families, we're separating families right here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So when I looked at things that I was going to support, I looked at what was going to help the most people in my district. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make it clear that like, yeah. I didn't need a title change to come into the state house. Right. It's actually very fearful. Mm-hmm. Like I said really? no like seven times. Like leave me alone. I have a good job. Um, <laughs> but people kept saying like you're the right kind of leader. You know, like I'm a right, great listener. Right. And all I want is a healthier, safer, a stronger community. Mm-hmm. And I was really pushed after saying no many many times. There was a young person who came up to me. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was really. So I back up a little bit. Like mm-hmm. the most devastating thing, I thought I had gone through like all this crazy stuff in my life happened mm-hmm. on August twentieth of twenty seventeen when I lost my youngest brother to gun violence. Yeah, that changed my life forever. Yeah, and that made me realize that I wasn't at least that's how I told myself I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. kids don't deserve to die in schools. But they damn sure don't deserve to also die on city corners all across this commonwealth and country and people not value their lives the same. Mm -hmm. And I I was like, well, what do I do about gun violence? I've been doing a lot. I already got Mm -hmm. kids' jobs. I create Know Your Rights forums. I talk to gangbangers all the time. Like, you know, like, why do you have to do this? And the same thing kept coming up. It was like a crisis of opportunity. It was like poverty. And I was like, wait a minute. Where are they having this debate? And I realized it was a state house. Mm-hmm. And yep, I was like, yep. you know, I don't want to do this, but I kind of feel like I got to, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, when I look at my work here at the state house, I want to be bold, mm-hmm. but I want to be smart. I also want to make sure that my district, uh, which is one of the poorest in the Commonwealth, gets what it deserves. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can't keep talking about being about equity if we're actually not helping the people that are the most vulnerable in our state. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that many of them are in places like the Fifth Suffolk. Sure. Where they're unseen and unheard. And and first of all I just want to say I'm so sorry about loss of your brother. Uh, I know we've talked about that a little yeah. bit. Um and I know that's ongoing right now. Yes. But but I I really appreciate, you know, you're getting that you know, at the end of the day, unless the policies are changing here at the state house, you know, it, it's going to be much harder to change in your community. Because okay. I, I think sometimes, you know, activists, you know, they, they look at the state house and it is a, a deeply frustrating <laughs> you know, building and they just throw up their hands and say, well, I'm just going to, you know, not just, but I'm going to work in the community mm-hmm. on issues that I can see have direct impact, but I, I can't take dealing with elected officials that... Yeah ignoring you know ignoring me or not doing enough investment but getting that you do have to come here even if it's a little painful and advocate yeah i would just say to those people because i considered myself an activist and i still do it's in my soul Mm -hmm. that um, i've learned a lot about coalition building before i ran and none of the issues we have in our country 
can be solved by government alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes the private sector, it takes mm-hmm. nonprofits, it takes people. Sure. It takes yeah. uh, uh, elected. So I came in with the mindset that if I could help build coalitions mm-hmm. across sector, then I would get more done. Mm-hmm. And I look at that. It is a frustrating place. Yep. Plus, plus, there's no like manual. Like you come in here as a new <laughs> rep. I've been here nine <laughs> weeks, and my joke when I go and talk to people is like, I haven't quit yet, right? <laughs> but like, I'm still getting lost. I still mm-hmm. have to ask a bunch of questions a day. Uh, <laughs> I ha- and most people are like figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that the activists understand that there is a new crop of leaders. Yes, definitely. Uh, connecting with other leaders to say. We're not going to make any difference in this state mm-hmm. unless we actually do something like drastic, mm-hmm. right? We can't do 25 more years of bad policy because for me, for example, I don't need tens of thousands more kids coming from the Fifth Suffolk ending in our jails. Yep, I don't exactly. need 60 to 250 Michaels getting killed every year in our state mm-hmm. while we pat ourselves on the back because we have really strict gun laws. Mm-hmm. I yep. can't sit around and have much more Carlos's, Carlos, Carlos and mm-hmm. Alfeo, the two ICE cases that I've worked on, mm-hmm. that more people get deported. Like, we, we can't wait. Right, exactly. Right? These exactly. are people, these are real people. They're humans. Mm-hmm. And so that's the approach that I look like. I'm yep. willing to, like, have mm-hmm. a really good cadence with people, <laughs> but I knew that I had to take the Safe Communities Act. I, I knew mm-hmm. when Juana Matias was leaving that, like, somebody had to stand up for immigrants because we're all immigrants in this commonwealth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're first American and you belong to the Massachusetts tribe, you're, you're coming from another place. And it just meant whether it was in 1900 or 1950 or right. 2015. That's the difference. Exactly, exactly. And, and in terms of, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of focus on your class, I think is the, among <laughs> the highest percentages of women. Yay! <laughs> and, that's, and that's great. I, you know, I also, you know, this morning I went to the Mass Women's Political Caucus breakfast, very nice turnout, but, you know, pretty much a, a white female audience. And I think sometimes, you know, um, there's this focus on, well, we need to elect more female legislators, but there's not a conversation about, okay, but if, if, it's, if, it's, if we're not looking out for women of color, you know, getting elected, then what, what are the policies right. that are being pursued? It so. is crazy. So <laughs> I'm one of three mm-hmm. black women in the state house and one of six women of color. Yeah. Out total, of 200. Total. Yep. yep. That's not mm-hmm. okay. Yep. It's not cool. It's not fun. I, I've never been, I mean, I, it reminds me like of Wellesley, like when I was like finally, like I went from like a majority to a minority. Mm-hmm. And I think what we need, and I've, I've been very vocal about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that. When we talk about equity, it's not just about white women's equity, right? Yep, and it's yep. it's real. Mm-hmm. And the Women's Caucus is something that I've brought up, and that's why I'm focusing on issues that affect particularly women of color, like maternal health, yep. where black women are dying four times. In some places in Mississippi, eight times at the rate of their white counterparts. In 2018, in the, the best medically sound country right. and state in the, the, the world. The country. Yep. Yep. It doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. So if, if it doesn't matter how much a woman has in terms of education or how much she makes a year, what's happening? It's racism, right? And so mm-hmm. I find that like it's a difficult conversation to have. There's only been 210 women out of 20,000 men, I think, yeah. in yeah, the yeah. mass house. There's no doubt about it we need more women. Yep. But when yep. you count the black women... 
that I, I believe are under 20 in its entire history, that's that's appalling. And we need our progressive friends yep, yep. to say that when I'm fighting for myself, I'm fighting for you too. Yep, exactly. And what I've noticed in the state house, and this might be uncomfortable for some folks, is it's not like I need an extra hand, but what I feel like is I do, like a little bit, like the, the, the inequities even in leadership and mm-hmm. pay between white women and, and, and black women are astounding. Uh, mm-hmm. Astounding, like I make 67 cents to, mm-hmm. uh, I think to a white guy's dollar, maybe like a little bit more yeah, to a white woman's dollar. Like yeah. it's absurd. And I think mm-hmm. that until we get to a point where we have full representation, mm-hmm. it's gonna be hard because I cannot mm-hmm. and will not speak for every person of color in this commonwealth, mm-hmm. right? There are 20 minority districts. Mm-hmm. In this Commonwealth, and only ten of them have representation from people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, right. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be the only one. Mm-hmm. Like you know, now me, Nika, and China kind of joke around. It's us three, but like, <laughs> and we're all from Boston. <clears throat> yep. Right. Exactly. Where's Springfield? Where's uh, Lawrence? Where's other places? Yep, and, yep. and why mm-hmm. can't we win in places, the towns that are super, super progressive? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that Absolutely. that's to brought up a question. If you can run a district, if you can be the state representative of a district that is 70% minority as a person of Caucasian, a person mm-hmm. who's Caucasian, I was going to pers- Caucasian <laughs> persuasion, I was going to say that. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know how to do it, but I think I have the two good ideas. One mm-hmm. is I'm investing a lot um, in the DCI, which is the Mass Democratic Party's um, yep. campaign to try yep. to get more people, not only to run for office of color, but to also work on campaigns. Yep. We have very Absolutely. interesting districts that speak multiple languages. Mm-hmm. I had like the United Nations of a campaign <laughs> team, and I liked it that way. You it's know why? It's incredibly valuable, yeah. It was, you mm-hmm. want to speak to people yep. in their own language. So, you know, mm-hmm. I had people Vietnamese. I had people who mm-hmm. spoke uh, Spanish. I had people who spoke Cape Breton Creole, mm-hmm. uh, Haitian Creole, people who are of Caribbean descent. Mm-hmm. So we need to build the pipelines now, and so I think that the one-two is... Invest in training yep, and absolutely. build a bench. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be here forever. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I want to come here, do a damn good job, and mm-hmm. when it's time for me to go and there's someone else behind me that can do this job as good or better, mm-hmm. I'm going to open the doors for them. Yeah, Because we need to keep opening the door of opportunity. A- absolutely. And, and the seats we represent are not our seats. Yeah. They're seats we happen to represent, and that can change. That's a good yep. line. Yep. And, I, and I think Boston has changed a lot in terms of who gets elected, but I would agree that pretty much the rest of the state, there hasn't been a lot of change. No. Yeah. And it's time. Yep. It, mm-hmm. it, I mean, and I think that the Mass Women's Political Caucus, just to give them a shout out, they, they endorsed me, helped me in my campaign, sure, sure. places like yep. Emerge, um, yep. helped out a lot. Um, there's organizations across the country like Higher Heights of America mm-hmm. that specifically work to get women of color elected. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're building those bridges. Yeah, I, we absolutely. have some work to do, but we won't ever have more Liz's unless mm-hmm. we actually go out and find them. Because yeah. for me, if someone had never talked to me, I didn't think it was possible for me. Mm-hmm. I always thought uh, state representatives and senators are lawyers, uh-huh. yeah. or they had like. You know, no, they went to schools like well, but I just didn't think like they represented <laughs> right, communities right. like mine. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Thank well, you. I'm I'm excited to work on Yay. maternal health <laughs> issues and equity issues, the Safe Communities Act, 
And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And this is fun. To, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks. So, Rep. Miranda, thanks so much for being on the Eldridge Files and uh, excited for the session. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.